to somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, don't lie to them like you did last week. Mean it this time. Say, it's good to see you. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single time I have the opportunity, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about we wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And uh, what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. 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 We've been giving away those blue Bibles for many years now, and I love when I glance at some that look a little tattered and, uh, and look like they've been used to meet with Jesus. Uh, and so we're thankful for that. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning. Maybe you're watching on the online campus. Welcome. You'll see a little Bible tab uh, there on your screen. You can follow along from there. Make sure you interact in the chat uh, and let somebody know that you're watching. Don't uh, be isolated, but gather together, even if that is on the online campus. We're so glad that you're here. Hey, turn in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 12. We've been in the series for many, many weeks. Uh, we may have uh, been close. I don't know when we started. We may be at a year now in the book of John, and uh, that will not top the two years we did in Mark. And uh, and uh, I remember when we we started Mark, uh, and one Easter we were in chapter eight. The next Easter uh, we were at the end of the book. It was uh, interesting for those who only show up on Easter to go. You're still in this <laughs> book, right? Uh, and so, anyways, uh, uh, there's no condemnation, but it was funny. Uh, turn to John chapter 12. Um, starting in verse 44. Um, I'm going to read this portion of scripture. I'm going to glean back and reference back to uh, the conversation that Jesus has, uh, that John has been telling us that Jesus has been having with the people uh, around him. And uh, you can say amen where you're at. Verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in, the, in him who sent me. And this is something to, to look at and think about uh, when he says, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but keep reading to see what he's really saying, but in him who sent me and whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me 
has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. Verse 50. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I pray that our conversation today would show us more clearly who you are, that it would strengthen our belief, and our beliefs would drive our behaviors forward, and that we would ultimately express your love to the world as you shine your light in us. Let us become a beacon of hope to others that they may see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. So let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, hey amen. There was a, a famous movie when I was in high school. Maybe you remember it. Uh, Talladega Nights, the legend of Ricky Bobby. <laughs> some, of you, some of you don't want to admit that you've watched it, but you love it and you watch it annually, right? Uh, and, and, and there was a viral scene that, that uh, years ago, we would use it in youth groups. A lot of times youth pastors would clip part of this, uh, this movie out, the scene where they're all at the dinner table. And, and if you're not familiar with this movie, Ricky Bobby is a, uh, a NASCAR driver and, uh, and he's uh, sitting around the table with his, um, his children to a feast of Taco Bell KFC. And uh, uh, they begin to say grace and uh, and uh, there's this moment where R Ricky Bobby begins to pray and say grace and he begins to describe Jesus as a little baby Jesus in your golden fleece diaper not even knowing a word yet not that I've ever seen the movie and uh, how many how many of you are lost how many of you are with me but don't want to admit it and then there, there's these uh, there's this moment where his father-in-law interrupts him. he goes no he was a man he had a beard yes amen beards uh, and don't let the weight of manhood get to you boys and uh, and, and so uh, there's this conversation that has, and Ricky Bobby uh, declares out, he says, listen, uh, I'm going to say grace, and I get to pray to whatever version of Jesus that I want to pray to, and I like the Christmas version the best. And it brings up a very interesting conversation using satire and comedy to realize that Jesus is the most famous person in human history. There have been more books that have been written. There have been songs sung. There is more on Google that Jesus existed than you exist, friend. You can compare and contrast. Jesus is the most famous person in human history. The Bible predicted that he would have a name which is above all names and ultimately every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But the Bible told that this man from Galilee who never traveled more than 150 miles from his home who died a very public death had uh, events surrounding his resurrection that many hundreds of people claimed to see a death dead man walking and if you see a dead man walking it will fundamentally change you somebody say amen 
to that. And ultimately, it changed a group of people that would turn the world upside down, declaring that they had saw their risen Lord, and he had conquered death. And now he was establishing his kingdom different than any other kingdom in the history of the world, where kingdoms of the world have been established through the fear of death or death itself. And Jesus would establish his kingdom by conquering death itself, death itself, removing the fear of death. Now his followers would make this claim, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? They would declare to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They would declare that ultimately what we see, touch, and feel is not all there is, but there is a kingdom being established on this earth through the hearts of his people. And from that day forward, the world changed. And you may go, I don't know that it changed. Well, I'll give you one example, an example we use often and oftentimes at the end of the service. But I want to start with reminding you that the cross is a tool for Roman execution. It was a murder tool. It was an execution tool. It was a tool of the Romans to cause fear of anyone who would come out of line with what they had established that that would be your fate. If you were a criminal, if you broke the law, or you were a political opponent, your fate would be a Roman cross. Now, when you get a boo-boo, you run to a little kit in the bathroom that has a cross on it. Can I tell you that that means the world has fundamentally changed? Someone say amen to that. What once was a symbol of death now means healing and hope. And how did that Happen. It's because Jesus changed the world. John would write these stories as he saw them unfold. John was a, a young boy who followed Jesus maybe around the age of 17. How many know that, that those ages are pivotal teenage years and for those teenagers listening these young years are pivotal for you oftentimes we still have the same mentality uh, some of us need to change our mentality and stop acting like teenagers but anyways uh, someone say oh no <laughs> right and, and, and yet oftentimes those formative years we still feel like even though some of us wish we still looked like that 17 18 year old version of ourselves some of us praise God how to glow up anyways uh and uh, uh, and I just transferred all my hair from the top to the face, okay? And, and yet these years were so formative for John that his entire life would be shaped by it, and he would write these letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John that he would write. He would write the book of Revelation, and these uh, documents would change the known world. Many of the verses that you quote, one of the most famous verses, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Tim Tebow did not write John 3.16. John wrote uh, this famous passage, and you know it, for God so loved the world, you, you can say it with me, that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Life that death can't 
stop. This famous passage which says God loves the world. He's not angry with the world, but he came to save the world and to give us eternal life. That's the start of this book, chapter 3, when he meets a religious leader in the evening, Nicodemus, comes in the night. He's a part of the Sanhedrin, which is the, the, pre, the priestly kind of organization, if you will. He, he's a part of the group that will actually put Jesus on trial and deliver him. But they have the trial in the night and they do not tell Nicodemus. But Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John comes to Jesus in the night and says, teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you have to be born Again, Now, this very literal, educated man says, what are you talking about? You're crazy. How can I enter back into my mother's womb? And he says, listen, I'm telling you of, of spiritual, heavenly things. And you, you, don't, under, you don't understand. You, you don't get it. Uh, the, uh, a man is born of water. He's born in the natural, the flesh. But what I'm doing is something beyond what you can see, touch, and feel. I'm birthing something inside of us and that the Spirit births in us a new creation where we'll get all of these other documents that will help us define that, where Paul will say uh, that the old us is rendered powerless, and behold, those are in Christ, you are a new creation. And so anybody who's been following Jesus for, for any period of time, what they'll tell you is that they are hyper aware that there are two me's that live in me. How many of you can attest to that? There's two you's that are in you and some of you need to have a conversation with you, you know, and, and tell the old you to knock it off, right? And, and, and ultimately, we're aware that there's something new bursting forth in us that's right in the middle of the old us. And yet, that's what we describe the kingdom of God, what he's doing globally, what he's doing everywhere. It's the very same thing that you're hyper aware in you for those who follow Jesus. And, and, and the spirit of God has awakened you. Well, well, there's this kingdom that's being birthed, this kingdom being established in the hearts of his people, and it's right in the middle of something new. So you're hyper aware of this new kingdom right in the middle of these old ones. And ultimately, John tells this story of the start of this thing. And ultimately, that Jesus would change the world, establish his kingdom, birth new creatures out of, by his spirit, and it would have a global revolution that you and I here today are sitting 2,000 years later, and we gather together on this same day every single week at a different time uh, in different places often times and like today you got an extra hour of sleep so we're a little different this morning aren't you thankful for that someone and yet we all have this understanding that we're going to come in here and we're going to gather around this book maybe someone drugged you here today and you didn't know what we were talking about that's why we start the whole service off by saying this is going to be a story about Jesus centered around this book that is about Jesus because we believe Jesus is more than just a person. We believe he's God in the flesh. And so I start that way every single week so that we set the precedent for who this Jesus is that we're talking about. 
And ultimately, Jesus, in this particular passage, is going to tell us some very important things about him Self, that you have to decide whether it's true or not. And you have to decide whether or not you believe this about Jesus or do you have a different version of Jesus. So if the, the great passage that says, whoever believes in me, he again says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but the one who sent me. And what is he saying there? In, in, in chapter 11, he's going to say, I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live. Whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. Will have this new life, this born again life that death can't stop. That the dates on a, a gravestone, the start and the finish, do not matter as much as the life that, that goes beyond the dates. That we as believers mourn differently First Thessalonians tells us that we don't mourn like those who have no hope, but we hope in the resurrection that Christ has been raised. Then that means fundamentally life and death look different. All of a sudden death is not final, but death is merely a transition moving from life to life. It's a minuscule doorway. And those who have faced loss, those who have grieving a loved one, those who are found in Christ mourn differently, hope differently. You can walk around this particular room and talk to people whose faith have been uh, strengthened and established in Christ. And so things that most people would be set back by, that most people would be devastated by somehow they still have hope and joy and peace and it's fundamentally different there's something new that God is doing and that comes through faith in Jesus Christ a belief in Jesus but what you have to establish is who is this Jesus that you believe in are you with me someone say amen this is the wrestle. This is, this is the thing that you fundamentally have to, on your own, not with a pastor, not, not with a priest, not with a friend, you have to decide who is this Jesus. If life comes through believing in him, who is it that you believe in? Because everyone's got a version of Jesus that they believe in. They got their favorite version. They got the version that says all the things that they want to hear. The version of Jesus that that they feel is palatable. The pages that they want to read further confirm their biases and how they look at the world. And all of us have this tendency in every way of Life, And yet, this is the thing we have to fight against when it comes to the person of Jesus. If we want to hope in and attain and work for and work out, as, as the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The fear is, I don't want to create a Jesus in my own image. I want Jesus to create me a new heart, a new me, a born again. I want Jesus' image to be on me. So when the world looks at me, what they see is the expression of the Son of God. Are you with me? This is, 
But our, our fight is this. So, so this passage, I, I want to describe to us a, a, a few things or, or, or maybe uh, solidify for us some, some very important beliefs that we must have about the person of Jesus. See, I think one of the worst things we did as a culture, as a Christian culture, in the 90s was the bracelet WWJD. You remember that? Some of you are like hiding it right now because like, I, I know it's coming back. <laughs> Like, I think that's one of the worst things we did because what it, what it did was it, it took us to making Jesus. I understand the heart behind it, but, uh, but what has happened is we've decided that Jesus is a subjective idea or a philosophy that I can shape into whatever I think he would do. And the problem is, is asking the question, what would Jesus do, now opens the conversation for me to subjectively say, I think Jesus would do this in this particular situation. Or you point to somebody else and go, I don't think Jesus would do that or act like that, right? And, and yet, the problem is, many of those who propagate ideas about Jesus, like Ricky Bobby, uh, begin to have a certain version of Jesus that they want to suggest that you should or should not be like. And so, the, the point of the scriptures is not so that we would ask the question, what would Jesus do? But we have to actually look and see what Jesus actually did and what he actually said. The first part is this. He is making a claim and he says this, believe not in, he says, if you believe in me, first he says, he doesn't say that you should not believe in him, but he says, if you, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, let me, let me clarify what he means by that, but in him who sent me. Now, this is the problem with taking one text. If you've ever had someone knock on your door and, and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus, and they're very nicely dressed and uh, better than most pastors, and uh, maybe that's how you think a pastor should dress, and I'm not going to. Anyways, uh, and, and so uh, they begin to open their, their book, and, and notice that that they have highlighted passages. I know none of you have ever experienced this, so try to bear with me. Uh, and, and they have highlighted passages, and, and, and you'll say, well, what about the next line? They were like, let's look at this next part here. You know, like, well, what about the line underneath it? Or what about, what about the line above it? So when maybe someone would highlight, uh, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but the one who sent me, and maybe you think Jesus is trying to suggest that he's not God, but yet the next line, see that's the problem with this thing we call proof texting, is taking one line, right? It's like reading a text from your wife and making some conclusions. Read the rest of the text, friends, okay? Uh, all right. Uh, uh, thank God for emojis so we have some type of body language. Anyways, uh, and uh, you didn't say LOL. You didn't say, anyways, uh, and and so the next line, he makes this claim. He says, whoever sees me sees the one who sent me. These are together. So what ultimately Jesus is saying and, and, and what he's pointing to is we must believe not in Jesus just as man, but as God. Number one, who is this Jesus that you must believe in, 
that he was God in the flesh. Number one, any other version of Jesus that suggests that he was not God in the flesh, that he was an ordinary man, this is what he's pointing to. He says, don't believe what you see right here. He says, you believe not in me, and he's pointing to his humanity. He's pointing to what you think of me as a person in the flesh, this carpenter's son. Uh, you don't fully realize what I'm going to do, so I'm going to point beyond me because it's really hard for you to see beyond me. So I'm going to give you a road map, and I'm going to say, when you believe in me, okay, yeah, 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 no, we believe in you. We believe in you, but we have our version of you that we believe in. So what he's saying is, no, 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 your version of me, which their version was, we follow and believe in a revolutionary. We want someone to overthrow the Romans, break the back of Caesar. And, Je and Jesus is saying to do, no, not in me, but beyond me, the one who sent me. I'm here to do his purposes, not your purposes. And then what ultimately Jesus is pointing to is his willingness to submit to the will of the Father. His willingness to take on human flesh in order that he may accomplish the work of the one who sent me. Here's some verses that we need to think about. Jesus is God in the flesh. Colossians 1 will say he is the image of the invisible God. Uh, Hebrews 1 3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Philippians will say this, that Jesus being fully God did not consider equality with God something to be held on. What do you mean? He did not hold on to it in order that he may come and establish his kingdom before he comes to serve and to change us from the inside out. So what does he do? He's made in the likeness of man, taking on the form of a man, being born in the likeness of men. And then he lived a selfless, Philippians says, a, a selfless, obedient life unto death, death on a cross. And so you know the story of that. But the question is, why? And what is he ultimately accomplishing. When we talk about what we believe in, the first thing is we have to believe that Jesus came as God in the flesh. We've been talking about this idea over the past few weeks, that God made a covenant with man. We ultimately know how man doesn't keep his end of the bargain, and you know that to be true with you. And so God makes a covenant with one man so that he might show what all men would do, even though blessed even though prosperous, even though given uh, prosperity, ultimately that becomes a nation, a family, a nation to show what all nations would do. Ultimately, they would reject. If you look at the, the verses just before the verses we read today, there's this passage in Isaiah that John quotes, and he ultimately talks about God's sovereignty in this whole idea that God chooses one person 
to show what all men would do. He shows, he picks one people in order to show what all people will do. And he doesn't even choose the people that are already kind of on the outside of the conversation. Or in other words, he, he doesn't choose people who he's enemies with. He, he chooses people that he wants to make his friends. And he shows that even his friends will reject him and ultimately not follow him. And so there's this passage that says that in Isaiah that ultimately he has, and you can look at John 40, uh, verse 40 of 12. He says, he has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, I would heal them and I would heal them. Well, well, there's this conversation uh, that how it, this, this passage tells us that God hardened their hearts, blinded their eyes, and they were unable to see who Jesus was till ultimately he reveals to them who he is. The resurrection is this ultimate moment where they see with their eyes. They're not blinded anymore, but ultimately people are hearing and they do not hear. They see, but they do not see because their hearts are hardened. And there's this conversation of ultimately how did God do that? And let me explain it this way. At first glance, if you read that and go, how could God do that? Romans 9 is going to give us, Romans 9 is going to explain some of this in more detail. But ultimately what you ask is, does God just decide? Is, is, is he just all of a sudden like, hey, your hardened heart, your, uh, your eyes are blind, your, uh, your ears are deaf. People can either hear or they can't hear, they can see or they can't see. How does God do that? Is it like a light switch where he just goes on, off? Does he just click a button in each person's heart? Well, here's here's what I I would say. Let me give you an illustration for that. God, one, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many of you believe that? So that means he's the same with everybody. But the same sun that melts ice hardens clay. The same sun that gives light to some, this happens to us in in the car all the time. My daughter has extremely sensitive eyes to light and she loses her mind when sun comes through the van, hits her screaming bloody murder. I mean, it is something, it it, it just, it it will send chills when all of a sudden light hits her eyes. See, See, sometimes light can be so bright that people are blinded even by the light. So God is the same, the same way with Pharaoh. The Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. How did he do it? He kept saying, let my people go. You ever, you ever met someone that, that your kindness just infuriates them? Right? That, that sometimes the same behavior for one person can melt them and open them up and cause them to see, seize God's nature and his goodness. Some people will not respond to that. Some people will be hardened by it. Some people will be blinded by it. Some people will not be able to hear. God is the same. And yet here we are in this conversation that some people will hear, some people will not. And then there's a conversation that ultimately that God did this in this way 
to ultimately put his people on his. You, you want to say you want to be chosen by God? God chose Israel to be an example that they would ultimately reject the Son of God. You want to say, I want to be chosen by God? Man, God will use people in ways that maybe you didn't sign up for. Right? How many of you know that? You've been following Jesus for some time. Man, he'll use your story. But here's the thing. He'll write a better story than you could have wrote for yourself. Some of us already have the screenplay for our lives, and we hand it to God. We're like, hey, could you sign off on this? You know? <laughs> And he's like, I got something better for you. And so God chooses this nation, chooses these people in order that we may see that all people ultimately will reject him. But even in their rejection, Romans tells us this, that while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. While we were far, while we were hardened, while we were blind, he loved and he wooed and he melted our hearts, ultimately that he may draw us to himself, to this person of Jesus who would ultimately do the thing that only he could do. So what is it that he is saying? He, he, he makes this claim. He says, I come... Not to judge the world, but to save the world. This is something you want to underline in your, in your Bible. I've come not to judge the world, but to save the world. Now notice, I, just a couple weeks ago, I preached to you that he says, now is the hour, in, in verse, uh, verse 31, now is, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And in the same chapter, in the same discourse, he says, I've not come to judge the world, but to save it. He's building, John is building and showing us what he wrote in chapter 3, which says, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever will believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. How is he going to do that? Well, there's a trial. There is a judgment coming, but he says, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. How's he going to do that? He's going to allow himself to be judged. The judge of the world steps out from behind the judge's seat takes off his robe, he puts on the robe of a criminal. I mean, could you imagine the judge taking off his robe and putting on the orange jumpsuit? Say, no, 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 hold on. That's the equivalent of the Bible saying that he took on human flesh, that he clothed himself, born in the likeness of men. He's going to allow himself to be judged. Why? So you and I would never have to face judgment for all the things that we've done wrong. All the things. All the past, all the present, all the future. The Bible says one sacrifice for sin once and for all time. 
meaning there's a debt that humanity has accrued. And the wages of sin is death. If there's a crime, there must be a punishment. There must be a judgment. And Jesus says, I do not come to judge the world, but to save it. Now, Romans tells us this. Romans says that God in his sovereignty and in his patience, Romans 3 is going to describe it this way, that he allowed former sins to go unpunished. That at the right time, he would send his son. That he may be, and the, the Romans uses this word propitiation. Another, in the NIV, it says this, that he may be an atoning sacrifice. Propitiation, atonement, here's what they mean. Propitiation is put forth. You ever, you ever watch the news and get angry? No. Right? You ever, you ever watch a story of injustice? And you want to do something about it? You ever hear a story about someone being hurt? An innocent child being hurt? And you feel wrath? So when the Bible talks about the wrath of God, what it's describing is the justice of God against every wrongdoing, against every innocent person who's been hurt, every person who's been lied to, deceived, broken, and God hates it. But sin has so infected humanity that all are corrupted by it. Not a single one is not susceptible. Or in other words, you're the bad guy in somebody else's story. Somebody's prayed, God, deliver me from Sam Kaiser. Don't look at my wife, that'd be rude. See, we're the bad guy in somebody else's story. And if you've ever watched a story or watched a movie about a bad guy, you hope for the good guy to come in and deal with the bad guy. But what happens when those that he loves have become enemies? What happens with the people that he created and loved and gave his image have been corrupted by sin? And they've moved away from what is right into what is evil and corrupt. And they've moved away from life and they've moved towards death. They've moved out of the light and into the dark. What can he do about it? Well, 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, one of the two, let's go with that. says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He made this God-man. God became flesh. He took on the robe of a, a criminal. He took on human flesh, flesh that oftentimes is the very thing that causes us to sin. Our desires, James says it this way, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, produces death. So Christ took on sin. And then 
Romans 8, 3 says this. He says, he condemned sin in the flesh. Romans 8, 3 says this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What does that mean? If you've ever heard of a judge not punishing the wicked, if you've ever heard someone committing an egregious crime and they did not get the punishment that fit the crime, you let them out on bail? You, six months? Time served? What do you mean? You would never call that judge just. You go, that's, that's not a good. So Romans 3 says this, that at the right time he sent Jesus, that he might be the just and the one who justifies. In others, words he put him forth as a sacrifice and the cross is the display of all the totality of wickedness and sinfulness God hated it so much of what it had done to his good creation that he would allow his son to take on flesh to take on sin and put it to death and judge it for the world to see. If you want to know what God thinks about your sin, look at the cross. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, look at the cross. If you want to know how much God loves you, look at the cross. If you want to know what God is willing to do about your sin, Look at the cross. If you've ever sat and wondered, I wonder if he's angry with me. I wonder if he's frustrated when I messed up. I wonder if he's going to judge me. He has judged and condemned sin in the flesh. And he says, it is finished. You no longer have to await a fearful judgment. The judgment, the verdict is out. He gets to be the jury who's merciful, even though he knows all the tapes. He's seen all the evidence and he knows you stand condemned. He says, step aside. I'll allow myself who's innocent to be condemned on their behalf that they may go free, that we might be the righteousness of Christ. This is Jesus. This is the Jesus that you must believe in to have eternal life, that he condemned sin, he put it to death, and now he offers you forgiveness. For by grace, unmerited, undeserved favor with God. Do you know what grace looks like? Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
You don't know what forgiveness looks like? Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. But here's what you have to remember. He is no longer hanging on that cross. He did it once, one time, and for all. And now your penance... You trying to earn it? You trying to make coming to church or saying a prayer, doing the rosary, praying to saints, asking over and pleading with for forgiveness? No. Belief in Jesus is knowing that he died once and for all time. And I'll trust him even when the enemy accuses me even when he tries to remind me and think I should be afraid of this God, when the enemy tries to tell me that he's mad at you and you're gonna pay for that, you can remind him that Christ has already paid the bill. It says paid in full. Now I no longer read this scripture as an invoice, thinking I gotta work it up, I gotta pay something off, I gotta do something because I'm indebted. No, I live knowing this is a receipt, friends. The bill has been paid. Your debt is done. The trial is over. So what does he then go on to say when he says, I don't judge you, but you already have a judge. For I've spoken of my own authority. Verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. His words are that whoever believes in me believes that he finished the work. He did everything needed to save you, to forgive you, to make you new, to give you new life. This is what it means to be born again, to see that to accept that and to no longer walk in darkness, trusting and believing in the person of Jesus. So here's the conversation of judgment. What happens on that last day? The question will not be the totality of your sin. The question will not be, did I do enough? The question will be, did you reject Jesus or did you accept him and the gift that he's given to you? The judgment will be, did you believe? Did you trust? Did you follow? The Bible says there's only one sin that will not be forgiven. People describe this and they call it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And there's been all these conversations of what does that mean? Ultimately, the Holy Spirit does this. He woos you, draws you, points to the person of Jesus. He points to the cross and shows you what this good God who became a man did for you. And that rejection of that is that sin 
that someone would look at the cross, someone would see the person of Jesus and the gift and turn their eye and walk away saying, I'd rather do this on my own. C.S. Lewis talks about the last day, that judgment day. And he said, there will be those who say to God, thy will be done. And there will be those to whom God says, thy will be done. That ultimately following Jesus is this choice. You do not have to accept him. You can choose to reject him. But friends, let me tell you, to look at the person of Jesus and see God in the flesh dying in our place for our sins in order to set us right. Who could walk away from that? Will you pray with me? With every head bowed, with every eye closed. many other things I'd like to say and I feel like for some of you I feel like the Holy Spirit is wooing you and drawing you for you to make a decision will you accept him or will you reject him this isn't about your sin your sin is forgiven if you accept the payment for it accept his work and allow him to make something new where now your belief will drive your behavior shall we go on sinning and let grace abound God forbid how could we look at the payment how could we look at the old rugged bloody cross and continue in the dark when he's shown us the light If you're here today and you say, Pastor Sam, I want to follow Jesus. This version of Jesus that hated sin so much that he would send his son to deliver us from sin by dying in our place. Listen, I don't want to take you through a prayer, put words in your mouth. But here's what I want to do. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Sam, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, you say, Pastor Sam, pray for me that I would trust in this Jesus, that I would stop working, I would stop fearing him, and I would start following him and fellowshipping with him. If that's you today, right where you're at, I just want you to look at me and make eye contact with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. I want to help you say a prayer. This prayer isn't magical, but it can be powerful if you put your faith in it. Lord Jesus, will you help me say this, church? Help us pray this. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you're a good Savior. You died for me, so I could live for you. I accept your payment for my sin. 
make something new in me. Jesus, I thank you for every person who said that prayer, those who are saying, I want to trust Jesus. I want to commit my life to him. I know how much he loves me because of the cross. Jesus, I thank you that you would help us, you would encourage us, you would push us forward in all things that we may glorify you and bring good to others. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap for him? Amen. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If if you're one of those who, who made eye contact with me, tell somebody. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to come up and I don't have to take you through a class. Tell somebody. Say, I I trust Jesus. I see him differently. Tell somebody. The Bible says that that confession will lead to salvation. Your Your words and your beliefs will drive your behavior. They'll push you forward. It'll help you grow. And all of a sudden you'll look back and just like fruit on a tree, one day it wasn't there. And then the next day, all of a sudden there was something new. There's something that right in front of my face, I couldn't even see it growing, but something new was happening. Tell somebody, take that next step. Do the next right thing you know to do, and that's what it means to follow Jesus, amen? Hey, go ahead and stand to your feet. Amen, amen. I'm so thankful for you this morning. We're gonna keep diving into the book of John. There are so many important things that we're going to wrestle with and think through that's going to help strengthen your faith and push you forward to remove condemnation from you, fear from you, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? Amen. Hey, we're going to end this way, the same way we do every single week. We're going to end with a mission, not a mantra. We're going to say this together. Let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this valley. Will you say it with me? Let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this valley. We'll see you next week.